Well, good morning, Christ Community, and a welcome guests. We're so glad to have you join our live stream uh, this morning. And if you could open up your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 22, um, we're going to be reading verses 21 through 51 this morning. And uh, the title of the message this morning is The Lord Who Shows Steadfast Love. And before we read the scripture, I want to, just by way of introduction, let you know that I, I just love how the Bible is relevant and all of your Bible is relevant. I've been enjoying doing the uh, uh, pastoral daily devotional on our church Facebook page. And uh, right now we're in Second Kings 19, and I've been so blown away with the the red hot relevance uh, to our lives in 2020 that Second Kings 19 in the Old Testament has on our lives. Um, I was uh, reflecting um, Bonnie Solensky last week after uh, the sermon. We were looking at Second uh, Samuel 22, 1 through 21. Uh, she said. I love how our normal Bible passage for this week was so relevant to us. And I thought that's exactly what I was thinking. I was just so blown away that in God's timing, that 2 Samuel 22, which was the next passage for us for our preaching series, Seeing Christ in All of Scripture, the timing of it to coincide exactly with this time where folks are um, affected by the coronavirus. It was so kind and caring of the Lord. I want you to know, John and I, we make plans for our sermon series and we, we plan out our preaching schedule. But I want to let you know that we, we didn't plan that. That was, that was something that just fell down from the Lord to us to look at 2 Samuel 22 and, and uh, see the scripture just so relevant um, for us. And it, it always is with every text, but so kind of God with this particular text, um, just to encourage our hearts um, with what we're all facing. Um, he knew, God knew we needed comfort specifically from his word here. And I love him for that, don't you? Um, I love the scriptures you have been sharing on church, brothers and sisters, at the Facebook page, just sharing your heart, sharing God's word with one another. Um, thank you for your love for the Lord, church, and your love for the Bible. Um, the depth of your faith in Christ is so evident, and it's so glorifying to God. Um, I want to thank uh, thank you, Joshua, Sarita, for your initiative with that yesterday, and the joy it was to see those scriptures. Um, thank you, John Reyes, also, just for your pastoral care and making Sure, sweet truth is captured and ministered to each of us as a church family and your commitment to pray for us and to make sure we are encouraged in Jesus is such a blessing. I also want to thank Tom England. I want to thank uh, Josh Coiro as well, who helped with the production of our live stream today, was in here yesterday. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, Mary, for the blessing you two are to our local church. Um, this uh, passage here in 2 Samuel 22, we're going to read verses uh, 21 through 51 uh, to the end of the chapter. It's a psalm of thanksgiving. And just by way of just beginning, an application for us as a church family, let us let 
Thanksgiving mark us in the midst of these times, in a time where increasing complaining and frustration is going to mark our culture around us, one of the ways that we can shine like a light for Christ as a witness um, is for us to reflect the, the spirit of thanksgiving that we see in this psalm. And so we're going to look at point one, which is the Lord is a rewarder. The Lord is a rewarder. Let's look at verses 21 through 28 of 2 Samuel 22 together. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me and from his statutes I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from guilt. And the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you deal purely. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. You save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this scripture this morning. I pray you would touch all of our hearts, Holy Spirit, with your power and that you would feed our souls as your people, that you would save the souls of those who have not yet repented of their sins and trusted in you. And we thank you for this scripture. Encourage our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week we saw that the Lord rescued us because he delighted in us. If you look at verse 20, uh, the, the verse of salvation that we honed in on, it says, He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. And we get a sense of the context here in this passage in verses 1 and 2. It says um, in 22, And David spoke to the Lord uh, the, the words of this song from the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So he was delivered from all of his enemies. He was delivered from the hand of Saul. And he writes this psalm of thanksgiving. This is also uh, corresponds with Psalm 18 as well, but it's captured again here in 2 Samuel 22. And here we see that he rescued us because he delighted in us. But here in verse 21, we see that the Lord um, also accents here a righteous life, that the Lord freed us, he saved us, he set us free from sin so that we might serve him, so that we might live lives for his glory, righteous lives that display his character and obey his word. I've, I heard one person say that he freed us from sin, not to sin. The freedom that we have in Christ is so that we are now set free from the shackles that once bound us so that we can serve Christ and so that we can live a righteous life. We're finally free to live a life pleasing to the Lord. And you see, uh, David is eager to do so, having been set free from his sin. Um, David lived as a man after God's own heart. And one of the things that a righteous life is marked by is that there's there's a fear of the Lord that reigns in our souls. And this righteous life is also um, characterized by a sincere devotion to Christ 
in public and in private. It's not just who we are outwardly before men and before people, but also who we are in the privacy of our thought life and and the words we speak in private. The Lord cares about who we are when no one is looking. And you see David, he's eager. He, He twice says in this section here that he was blameless before the Lord. We we know that it says and, and God describes him as a man after his own heart. And one of the things we see in this section is that the fruit flowing out from genuine faith in Christ is a righteous life. Now a righteous life doesn't earn our salvation. Christ earns our salvation and we're saved by grace. But when we are saved by grace, it always evidences it always evidences itself with a righteous life. And David here says he was blameless, which, which means that he, he feared the Lord. He was upright before God. He lived in the fellowship of sincere devotion, the Cambridge Bible commentary says. And blamelessness, it has this sense of David keeping watch over his own soul that he might not transgress the law of his God, that lest he should cherish any sin till it became part of him. To cherish sin to the point where it becomes part of you. Now listen, unbelievers live in sin. Christians are delivered from living in sin and now they live righteous lives. That doesn't mean they don't ever sin But Christians don't live in sin the way unbelievers live in sin. They've been set free from the law of sin and death so that they might live a righteous life and and, and live a blameless life, which doesn't mean that we are sinlessly perfect. Only Christ was sinlessly perfect. But it does mean that we live upright lives characterized by the fear of the Lord and a sincere devotion to the Lord in public And in private, David says that twice, that the Lord actually has dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He's rewarded me. Most likely in this context, David's talking about the two times that God delivered Saul into his hands so that he could actually kill him if he wanted to. And David's men were actually encouraging him to seize the moment and kill Saul. But instead, David feared the Lord and he would not take matters into his own hands and touch the Lord's anointed King Saul at the time when everyone else wanted him to. You see that devotion to the Lord, that blamelessness before the Lord that now David's highlighting in this psalm, it flowed out from his genuine saving faith and it characterized his life. He was blameless, David was, but he wasn't sinless. Now, with Jesus the king, King David's greatest son, the anointed one, King Jesus was not only blameless, but he was also sinless. His devotion, his fear of the Lord was perfect. His resistance to temptation was total and complete. And the good news this morning for for us who have believed in Jesus is, Christ's righteousness gives each of us believers in Christ hope this morning because it's Christ's sinless perfection. It's his perfect obedience to the law of God, which has been credited to us. It's 
Christ's righteousness, which gets credited to the guilty sinner's account so that now we are declared righteous. So even though we're still struggle with sin, we are declared righteous in his sight through our justification by faith, by the grace of God alone. So, brothers and sisters, during this time where God has slowed our lives down, let us use this time to reflect on our life. And let us look at this moment. Like verse 25 says, And the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. And let us take stock of our own souls. Let us repent of sin and habitual sin and a heart that's not fully and sincerely devoted to Christ. Let's get our hearts right with God during this time when we're in quarantine. The Lord's causing us to need to look upward to him. Let's seize that moment and to do that. The the contrast here to a morally upright life or a blameless life is highlighted here in verse 26 when it says, with the merciful, you show yourself merciful. Now there's righteousness. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified or those who make themselves pure, you deal purely. With the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. Uh, What this is talking about is a man or a woman who is morally distorted and perverse, which is any unrepentant sinner. Anybody who hasn't repented of their sins and trusted in Christ is what the Bible would call crooked. And only God can make you straight. And it's, 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 it's a man or woman given over to their own perverseness until it brings them to their own destruction. One of the things the Bible talks about is those who live this way often, they will make a mess of their lives and then they will get angry at God for not giving them personal happiness. And so their heart will rage against the Lord and they'll actually look at God as a, as a torturer or he's making his, my way torturous. And the reality of it is it's our own rebellion that does that. But our perspective is so distorted in our crookedness that we actually blame God for our lack of happiness in our life. We need to repent of our sins and trust in Christ and his righteousness. God has been good to us. We have been perverse. And so the only way to be cleansed from our perversions, our sin, our crookedness, is to trust in Christ who will make us straight, who will declare us righteous, and who will save our souls. Um, And so you see that not only is there a call to righteousness, but the Lord will reward a righteous life. It's amazing. Not only does God save us by his grace and, and, and really empower us to a righteous life, but then he actually rewards us for the righteous life that he gives us grace to live. Hebrews 11 verse 6 also uh, maps onto this when it says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. We need to believe not only that God exists, but also that he's a rewarder. God is a rewarder. It's worth it to live a righteous life. It's worth it to lay down our selfishness and our sin and our crookedness to live for God. The world will call us fools, but on the day of judgment, 
We will be rewarded, brothers and sisters, for a life lived in righteousness. And one of the ways I've been thinking about in relation to a, a, a righteous life before the Lord is for practical application for us in the midst of these times is we can be tempted much to an inner anxiety over many things. Um, and there's a call in 1 Peter 5, 7 to cast our anxieties upon the Lord for he cares for us. 1 Peter 5, verse 7. I want to read this quote by Alistair Groves, which is so relevant for this time. I hope it encourages your heart. He says, pour out your anxieties to your father in heaven. Do not churn fruitlessly inside your own heart with worries about school closings, travel plans, economic downturns, or the potentially infected surfaces you've touched. When you are afraid, turn to him. Cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. In fact, let hand washing and rubbing on hand sanitizer become a moment in which you consciously entrust yourself and the future of everyone you care about into his hands. Isn't that a great quote? I love that quote and I hope that encourages you. But there's a contrast, brothers and sisters, Instead of churning fruitlessly inside of our own hearts, let us turn to him and cast our anxieties onto him. Yes. Having been rescued, one of the evidences of having been rescued is a life which more and more turns upward instead of inward in fear. And let's ask God to help us. Let's give thanks to God that though we struggle with anxiety all the time, the Lord has forgiven us of our anxieties and we can also cast our anxieties on him for he cares for us. Amen. Let's look at point two. The Lord lightens our darkness and we're going to read verses 29 through 49 for this. So let's read in God's word together. For you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. Isn't that a great expression? For by you, I can run against a troop and by my God, I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? This God is my strong refuge and has made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your gentleness made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and you destroyed them. I pursued my enemies and destroyed them and did not turn back until they were consumed. I consumed them. I thrust them through so that they did not rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me. Those who hated me and I destroyed them. They looked, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as the dust of the earth. I crushed them and stamped them down like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with my people. You kept me as the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. Foreigners came cringing to me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. 
The Lord lives. And blessed be my rock. And exalted be my God. The rock of my salvation. The God who gave me vengeance and brought down peoples under me. Who brought me out from my enemies. You exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from men of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing praises to your name. The Lord lightens our darkness with who he is and his truth. Psalm 119.105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Uh, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Now, there is light inside of us now as Christians. That's what this is talking about. The the language here, um, wonderfully, um, in, in the scriptures in verse 29 is, For you are my lamp, O Lord. You are my lamp. And my God lightens my darkness. Lamp a lamp in a house which shows evidence that there is life. It shows evidence that there's activity inside that house. There's life and there's light inside of our souls now because of Jesus and what he has done. Before there was deadness. Now there is life. Before there was meaninglessness. Now there's purpose. For those who have trusted in Christ. Before we were directionless. And in the darkness. Now there's a clear path ahead. With the light of God's word shining down on it. Before there was only darkness. Now there is light. And there is salvation. That's what 29 through 49 is all about. It's, it's, It's words from David of how God empowered him. In battle, not just to live an inwardly righteous life, but also to do good deeds for the Lord. The Lord empowered him. You see the language of of the scriptures here that the Lord actually says that he was given power, uh, David said, to scale walls. And, and this reference to scaling walls, we, we think of it simply as a spiritual thing, but David and his men in 2 Samuel chapter 5, actually it said that the courageous men of Israel actually did scale the walls of Jerusalem in order to conquer the Jebusites and deliver the city of God into the hands of Israel. It's, it's a wonderful battle story where God filled his people with courage so that they might rise up on the walls of Jerusalem and take it like they were never able to take it before. The Lord's also described here as a protective shield. We saw that last week, but that language of the Lord being a shield, a a rock of refuge. Who else is God but the Lord? And who else is a rock but our God, the scriptures say? He's also a God who answers prayer. And he answers prayers and gives power. This this phrase here, your gentleness, Lord, made me great. Your gentleness, in verse 36, made me great, is actually an expression. It's a beautiful expression of God's condescension. It's actually a, a phrase which can mean thy answering. 
So I lifted up my prayer and you condescended to answer it. And you, you filled me with power. You equipped me with battle from on high. David pursued and destroyed the enemy. And after the enemy was pursued and destroyed, David's testimony is this wonderful expression. The Lord lives. The Lord lives, Christ Community Church. The Lord lives, Berks County, Pennsylvania. Let us never forget that. Let us never forget, world, that our God lives. Trust in him and put your hope in Christ. David says, it's through the Lord. He avenged me. He lives inside of me. He's my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? He delivered me from men of violence, David said. In 2 Samuel chapter 10, all the surrounding nations all around Israel were destroyed and subdued under God's anointed king. The city of David was conquered in 1000 BC by David and the tribe of Judah and all the 10 other Israelite tribes. This victorious David ultimately points us to the victorious Christ. God's anointed king, King David, here in this context, is meant to point us to David's greatest son. The pinnacle of the royal messianic line, the anointed one, the Messiah, the king of kings, Jesus Christ. He is the victorious Christ. He's the conquering Christ. But with David, God delivered him out from the hands of men of violence. But the way we have been delivered out from our sin is God handed his own son into the hands of men of violence. And they did violence upon him culminating at the cross and his sufferings there. But this violence that was done to King Jesus caused his sacrificial blood to flow, atoning blood, which saved each of us who have repented and believed in him. Amen? And at Jesus' return, Jesus will wipe out all of the enemies of God who are unrepentant and unbelieving. And all things will be finally and forever placed under his feet. And we will enjoy the reign of King Jesus in the new heavens and new earth. Heaven. As we see Jesus reigning face to face. That is our happy ending. That even death will only deliver us into, beloved. This salvation and deliverance delivered David and the people of God into a life not free from battle, but in this earthly life, we are delivered into the battle to wage warfare for the Lord, a spiritual battle where we take up weapons of righteousness to live for the glory of God. And the Lord gives us equipping and he gives us courage for the battle. This is what David's talking about here. And the same is true, not just of David and his warriors, but for us, the church. We are committed 
to do battle and to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Marshall Siegel writes this in relation to the courage and the good works that we are called to do um, as God's people. God has prepared good works for us, Ephesians 2.10. He has prepared us for days like these. He has prepared us for days like these. He plans to show the immeasurable riches of his kindness through simple acts of Christian courage in a world paralyzed and consumed by fear. Father, in the name of Jesus, use your church. I love that quote by Marshall Siegel. And and going on from that, one of the ways we see courage displayed throughout church history is in the 1800s, there was a pastor named Charles Spurgeon who was pastoring in London during the cholera outbreak. And one of the quotes I want to read to you is about Spurgeon during the cholera outbreak in London. He says this to the people of God. Now is the time for all of you who love souls. You may see men more alarmed than they are already. And if they should be, mind that you avail yourselves of the opportunity of doing them good. You have the balm of Gilead. When their wounds smart, pour it in. He's talking about the gospel there. You know of him who died to save. Tell them of him. Lift high the cross before their eyes. Tell them that God became man, that man might be lifted to God. I love that. Tell them of Calvary and its groans and cries and sweat of blood. Tell them of Jesus hanging on the cross to save sinners. Tell them that there is life for a look at the crucified one. Tell them that he is able to save to the uttermost all them that come unto God by him. Tell them that he is able to save even at the 11th hour and to say to the dying thief, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. That is a great quote from Spurgeon. Brothers and sisters, let us be on high alert to share the hope of Christ boldly with those who are shaken in these times. Uh, the other day, my wife, uh, Shannon, observed, and we were just talking about the, the person who was in front of us in the store. Um, we were getting a wipe to kind of wipe down our cart, you know, just like, like many people are doing. And the person in front of us, they, they took seven wipes to wipe just the handle of their cart. And, and there was just a, a franticness about it as we observed. Um, and actually, uh, my mom was telling me that when my, her, my father and her were at the store, that the wipe distributor at the entrance to the store, the grocery store they were in, needed to be placed there, a wipe distributor, because they had people stealing them for home use out of fear. What, what it indicates is the level of fear society has where we have hope in God. Brothers and sisters, listen, we can be tempted to fear our, ourselves Let us hope in God and trust in the Lord and not in our ability to clean every surface perfectly. Have compassion also, brothers and sisters, toward the panic and the fear in society. To the fearful among us, 
let me encourage you to trust in our faithful God. Courageously hope in Jesus in connection with every angle of temptation to anxiety that you're facing. And every temptation to anxiety the enemy throws at you. If you are not fearful, let us not, as the text says, be haughty and high-minded about it. Instead, let us pray with compassion toward those who are fearful. Let us be prayerful, Christ Community Church, not judgmental. Let us be humble, not angry. As many temptations abound and will continue to abound the longer the quarantine over this virus continues, the anger and the outrage toward toward, toward government, towards the media, towards, towards anybody that we can vent our frustrations toward will, will grow as time goes on. We as God's people are called to be different. We're called to be humble. We're called to be compassionate in the spirit of Christ. We're called to be prayerful. Let us also, let's be courageous and not fearful. The Lord has opened up the doors of opportunity to share Christ and to offer Christ as we've been out and about. Shannon and I have had multiple opportunities now, and I love it to share the gospel with those. You can see the fear in their eyes. And we have the opportunity to tell them about a Savior who can take away their fears and deliver them into a hope that can never be taken away from them. Amen. And let us remember that if we believe in Jesus, you do not need to fear. He's always looking out for you. And you can be, as the section here ends, thankful and hopeful. Vanitha Rendell Risner writes this, To find hope through suffering, I cannot be tied to a specific outcome. My hope is not that my situation will turn out a certain way or that God will give me exactly what I want, but rather that God will always do what's best for me. It is a living hope in a Savior who loves me, not in an outcome I feel entitled to. I need to trust that God wouldn't allow anything that isn't best for me and that everything in my life is put there for my good. Romans 8.28. Isn't that a great quote by Vanitha? And finally, point three, the Lord shows steadfast love. The Lord shows steadfast love. Look at verse 51. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. God not only rescues us, but he keeps us with his steadfast love and his faithfulness. This hesed or steadfast love is his merciful loving kindness. It's steadfast love. It's faithful love that endures forever, the scriptures say. God loves us, beloved And his love endures forever. It can never be taken away from those who have trusted in Christ and who have turned away from their old life of sin. God delivers us and God keeps us. 
we are united together with Christ by faith. And this text here, if you look at it, great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring. Do you know what this text is talking about when it says David and his offspring? Do you remember that word offspring? Whenever we see the word offspring described in the Old Testament, in relation to Abraham and his offspring, David and his offspring. It's talking about the promised one who is to come, speaking of Jesus Christ. And, and what the good news is, is that God's steadfast love can never be removed from David's offspring, which speaks to Christ. But not only Christ. Listen to this. It means Christ and all those who are one with Christ by faith. And so I've got good news for every single person here who has repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus. When you believed in Jesus, you were united together with Christ, Ephesians 2.13 says. And now the promise is, is that God's steadfast love can never be removed away from his anointed one from David and his offspring forever. And what that means is because you've been united together with Christ, God's steadfast love will never be removed from you forever, beloved. And so you might look and see yourself struggling with sin often, as I often do in my own life. And I feel, oh God, I let you down so often. Lord, is there any hope ultimately that I'm going to make it to heaven? The answer is yes. And it's not because of my good works or that I'm a good person. I am a sinner but I have been saved by grace and I have been engrafted into the perfection of Christ. I've been united together with Jesus Christ by faith and God has promised that he is going to show steadfast love to David and his offspring. Christ and his people who have been united together with Christ as one. God's steadfast love will never be taken away from that man, that woman, that child who has trusted in Christ and is now one with Christ. That's meant to fill your heart with fresh assurance of God's love in the midst of these troubled times. Let that minister to your heart in closing, I just want to share that there's this statue that many of you may have seen. It's been on the news in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil called Christ the Redeemer. And it stands up on a hill. You might remember it from the Olympics when the Olympics were in Rio. But it's a statue, a large statue of Christ. But there's this, what they're doing right now is every nation in the world that's been uh, affected by the coronavirus, they, they have the flags of all those countries shining up on the statue of Christ with his outstretched hands and all the flags of all those nations are on Christ. And I love that imagery and I love the care that that communicates, but you know, and it's the flag of every nation that covers Christ and not just those that are covered by or infected by the coronavirus right now. Christ carries the nations mm on his heart but not only the nations his love for you is so personal and so deep that it's as if it's just your picture 
flashed up onto his heart. He loves the nations, but his steadfast love will never be removed from you, dear Christian, dear brother and sister. And don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that. Let's pray. Thank you, Almighty God, that you rescue us because you delighted in us. Thank you that you rescued us and you keep us. We love you so much, Lord. And we thank you for opening up our eyes to see Jesus. I pray, Lord, anybody right now who is listening on this live stream, and there may be many who don't yet know you. They haven't repented of their sins. Their their lives right now could be characterized as mine once was as crooked. I pray that they would repent and believe in you while there's still time. And there's still time. Today is the day of salvation. I pray they would repent. I pray they would trust in you. Because those who trust in you, Lord, your steadfast love will never, ever be removed from them. It will endure and it will never be taken away from them forever. God, I pray that you would forgive sinners today, that you would save sinners just like you've saved me. And I pray that you would fill all of our hearts as your church with hope this morning because not only did you rescue us, but you keep us. We love you, God. You're so awesome. You're such a wonderful Savior. I pray that our closing song and worship would bless your heart as we sing as your people. In Jesus' name, amen. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Father, we thank you that we can come today to rejoice in you. That God, you are seated on the throne. You reign and rule in all sovereignty. And because you are all-knowing, all-powerful, we can rest as your children in you, knowing that you will never be shaken. And so today, Lord, we lift up our eyes to the hills, for we know where our help comes from. Our help comes from the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, who neither sleeps nor slumbers. And we say to you, we love you and we thank you for your kindness, your love in sending your one and only son to this earth to die a sinner's death, a death that we deserve so that we could have reconciliation, so that we might be reconciled to you. We are so very grateful for the sacrifice of Christ 
so that we could be adopted as sons and daughters. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to take this time, if you're listening today and you need prayer and you want to seek out the pastors here at Christ Community for prayer, please feel free to send us texts or emails and we'll be willing to pray for whatever needs you have today. Uh, you can you can contact us. Uh, my my email is j-r-e-y-e-s at cccburks.org. You can contact me through there and I'll be more than happy to pray for you and sending send your prayer requests along to CB as well. In the meantime, may the God's grace bless you and fill you today.